Welcome to Book Bistro, where book enthusiasts come to chat about the books they love in a warm and supportive environment. This episode is airing on Tuesday, June 13th, 2023. Hello, everyone. It's Shannon back with you for another Tuesday morning episode. And today I am very excited to share an interview I did with author Bridget Morrissey. She was on the podcast a couple of years ago, and I am super excited to have her back. So we are talking about her upcoming novel, which is called That Summer Feeling. And it was released a couple of weeks ago. So definitely stay tuned for that. Once the interview is over, I will be back to share some of this week's new releases with you. So let's get into it. You can find us on Facebook by searching for Book Bistro Podcast. There we have our usual Facebook page where we keep track of our Wednesday reads and also post information about the Friday episodes. We also have a Facebook listener group that you're welcome to join. And if you prefer a different type of listener group, you can contact us and ask about our WhatsApp group. Both groups are pretty small, not super high traffic, and we would love to have you. If you want to get in touch with us off of social media, you can do so by sending an email to thebookbistropodcast at gmail.com. If you're looking for our main hosting page where you can find information on the podcatchers that make Book Bistro available to you, you can find that information in our show notes. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Book Bistro podcast. This is Shannon, and today I am very happy to Welcome Bridget Morrissey back to the podcast. She was here in, I want to say, 2021 when her novel Love Scenes came out. And she is back now to talk about That Summer Feeling, which is releasing here in the U.S. on May 30th. Bridget, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me back. It's good to be here again. You're so welcome. Can we start with a brief introduction to that summer feeling so that listeners have a bit of an idea what they can expect? Absolutely. So that summer feeling is the story of a recently divorced woman who decides to go to an adult sleepaway camp, adults only sleepaway camp with her sister in hopes of sort of reconnecting with her joy and finding a little bit of the hope that she's lost. And while there, she runs into a man from her past that she believes she might be meant to be with, only to end up falling head over heels in love with his sister instead. Ha! <laughs> <laughs> this makes me very, very happy. <laughs> me too. <laughs> Is there... Actually, like, are there camps like that, that are sleepaway camps that are adult only? I know there are some like for families. Um, yeah. I don't know that I've ever 
I've ever seen any that are like strictly adult only camps. There definitely are. Um, there's it's like camp. No counselors is one of them that comes to my mind <laughs> top of top of dome. So there's definitely places that are just like adults only camps. I don't know if they're like the camp in my book because I haven't been to camp as a child or an adult, a sleepaway camp. So, um, I just kind of made up what I thought would be fun, <laughs> but they do exist. Yeah, I did some camps um, as a kid and I've heard, you know, people talking about, oh, you know, wouldn't it be great like to go back to camp? And I always thought like, no, no, I don't think it would <laughs> as an adult. Um, but now like this sort of intrigues me, this idea that you know, adults could theoretically go back to summer camp. Yeah, I think it's a really fruitful setting, especially in fiction. Um, for someone where Garland, our main character, like I said, she's recently divorced and she's been through a lot. And I really wanted her to go on a journey where she reconnects with her, you know, the things she used to love or the things she never let herself love. And she never got to go to summer camp as a kid. So it provided a great um, opportunity for her to sort of do things that are joyful and things that we associate with childhood and associate with like the, the beauty of our youth and sort of like the freedom we had when we were kids. So as a child and young adult, did you read a bunch of like those camp books that existed like back in the day. I think there's some that are out now, but I'm thinking, you know, the ones that I grew up with um, that were just a huge part of my childhood reading. I don't think that I did. I definitely watched the show Bug Juice on Disney Channel, and that was like a big inspiration for me when it comes to this. So I felt like I knew what the camp life was like from that show. And then also like movies like The Parent Trap. Um, which I both are both things. Yeah. Which are both things that I reference in, um, in the novel, but no, I never read any of the camp books. Oh man. Like there's like, what is it? There's a bat in bunk five by Paula Danziger. I think Judy Bloom maybe had a summer camp book or two. There were just a bunch of them that I felt like, um, really kind of shaped my reading as, as a young adult. Um, so this, I love that this, you know, as people start reading it, they're like, oh yeah, you know, it's a kind of a straight contemporary romance. And then we see something a little different, which is that Garland actually falls for his sister. And as someone who is always looking for more female, female romances, I am delighted that this one is almost in the world. Me too. Um, and I'm delighted to have written it uh, as a queer yes. person myself. I think it's exciting. Um, I've written a lot of queer characters, but th th this is my first sapphic romance. So uh, I'm really excited for it to be out in the world for people to read. I feel like we see a lot of male-male romance. Um, like those have become, I think, pretty popular over the past several years. But I don't see as many sapphic romances. And so I think it's just, it's awesome when I discover a new one and especially when I can have the author on the podcast and, you know, to, to talk about it. I think it's just such, 
such a necessary piece of diverse writing. Oh, yeah. I mean, I love, you know, we've gotten some great sapphic romances coming out just even in this past year or the coming year. Um, and there's a lot that I'm really excited about. And so I'm really honored to be among great company. So I normally save this for more toward the end, but since you mentioned it, I will ask you, have you read any sapphic romances lately or are you anticipating any that you think the world should know about? Um, right top of mind for me is For Her Consideration by Amy Spaulding. Um, it's oh. the story, uh, it's a Hollywood set uh, a sapphic romance about a woman who works in the like, she writes emails for celebrities as the celebrity. Like she ghostwrites oh. as the celebrities, which is very unique. And she is paired up with a queer actress who basically is like, you're not getting my voice right in these emails. And so they meet up <laughs> to try to like iron that out. And of course, you know, they end up falling in love and it's so funny and so smart. And Amy just has this way of creating this specificity that is hilarious and also feels so real. Um, and I just absolutely loved that one. And in the same vein, which is so funny, I guess I really love, and I mean, it makes sense because love scenes was a Hollywood set romance too, but um, it's true. There's also, yeah. There's also sizzle reel by Carlin Greenwald, which is the story of uh, a Hollywood assistant who gets paired with a queer actress <laughs> or sort of like ends up befriending a queer actress. But this one is unique in that it's actually, um, I want to say it's a love triangle because it's not necessarily a love triangle, but she's also uh, has feelings for her best friend and she ends up, you know, navigating her sexuality, her career, and also her feelings for this actress and her friend all set against the LA uh, assistant sort of community, um, which is super compelling. And then I guess if I'm doing a theme, my theme would be um, sapphic romances that are set in California, because then the third one I'm going to give you is Sorry Bro by Talene Vascuni, which is about uh, an Armenian American woman who is engaged or she gets proposed to by her longtime boyfriend. And instead of saying yes, she kind of is like, let's take some time apart to think. And so they end up going on a six week break. And in that time, she really wants to make an effort to reconnect with her Armenian culture. And so she um, starts going to all of these Armenian events and it's in like Northern California. And she ends up meeting another woman at all of these events and finds her really enchanting and just her goal in going to these events is to meet an Armenian man and like, just like marry someone within her culture oh. ends up falling for the girl. Instead, it's really fascinating and it's super vulnerable and it's so relatable. And also just a lot of really great insight into Armenian culture. And I just loved it. So um, both of the, Sorry, Bro and Sizzle Reel are on my library hold list currently, but I was not aware of the Amy Spaulding. I saw it 
and she's not an author that I've ever read. And so unfortunately, I just kind of skipped by it, but I will have to um, remedy that. Didn't she get her start writing YA? Yes, she's written several YAs and she just had a YA come out this year too called No Boy Summer that is also sapphic. So she is definitely prolific, but yeah, she has. Yes. Okay. I need to make sure that I uh, add this new one to my TBR pile along with the many, many other things that are on there, but that is just the way I like it. Yeah, those TBRs, they always grow. They never shrink. Yes. So now that you have written a sapphic romance, is that something that you think you would do again? Or are you kind of you know keeping your options open in terms of like the, the character pairings that you create from here on out? Oh, I would definitely hope to do it again. Um, you know, don't know exactly what the future holds for me just yet when it comes to what's next, but uh, absolutely something I hope to do as many times as possible. Did you have any sort of nervousness about writing your first sapphic book and like how it might be received or anything kind of surrounding that? Or did it feel kind of like a natural progression for you and something that you were like pretty confident in doing? I would say I felt pretty confident in doing it. It wasn't anything to me that felt vulnerable in the sense that I was worried about how other people would receive it. Um, Mm -hmm. I think I was really excited for this book to come out and I am really excited for it to come out. And it felt like a very real and true expression of myself in many ways. Just a lot of the content in the book feels very, just feels like a very Bridget book. And so I couldn't wait for the news to get out. And when the news was out, I just have only felt such excitement and support. Um, And I think that the readership is so fun um, and everybody has been so supportive as in the lead up to the release of this book. So it's made it a blast. I love that right now, you know, the book world is so open to LGBTQ romances. I think, you know, back even like 10 years ago, I think people had a lot more reservations about writing something that, you know, wasn't what people considered the norm. And I love that we have changed at least to some degree where people can write these stories and not have to feel like, oh my gosh, you know, are, are people going to be okay with this? Is this going to open me up to all kinds of like, you know, negative attention um, it's just such a such a necessary shift that I'm glad we're embracing. Oh, totally. And I do want to say, I mean, I think I'm very privileged. I live in Los Angeles. I, I mean, my friends are like all queer people. I am a queer person, so I feel very protected. And I think that that fear is still very real for some authors that write queer content. So with all my respect to them, I, I do think that my circumstances allow me to feel safe and supported in that but it's it's still a risk you know unfortunately in the the culture we live in sure I think it's definitely not something where you know people are just running full speed ahead um to write these books but I do like that you know at least it's becoming more of a thing like I'm not seeing sapphic books just being published by, you know, the kind of smaller publishing houses that sort of specialize in it. I love that we see them 
in some of the mainstream publishers as well. Totally. I agree. You know, for a while, like you had to look really hard to find them. I remember you know, reading a lot of like Radcliffe books back in the day and you could only get them. I think it was like from Bold Strokes books, which I don't even know um, if that's a thing anymore, but you could only get them, you know, from this like one publisher. And if you were looking around and, you know, say none of those blurbs really appealed to you at the moment, like those were sort of your choices. If you were looking for like queer represented, you know, representation on the page. Yeah, we've we've come a long way and we still have more to go. Oh, yes. Yes. I feel like that is kind of the. uh, Just the the thing that we always say, and it's so true that even as we change. And even as the, the industry changes, there's still, as you say, so much more that can and and should change hopefully sooner rather than later absolutely so did you have a favorite part of writing that summer feeling like was there something that like as you wrote it you were just like yes like this is this is like what i love about this particular book I think I always love writing family dynamics. And so Garland goes to camp with one of her sisters and then Stevie, her love interest has three brothers. And so I had a lot of fun creating their dynamics and then giving um, Garland a chance to know the Magnuson, which is their last name, the Magnuson family and the brothers and how she would sort of play against them is something that I always find a lot of joy in. And then when it comes to the specifics, there is a scene, uh, there's like camp dances every night. Ah, yes. one of the camp, Yeah. And at one of the camp dances, um, they do the hoedown throwdown from the Hannah Montana movie. And <laughs> that is something that is very special and personal to me. And I had a lot of fun writing that. Yes, I, I love some of those like very traditional, you know, camp uh, feeling things. Um, as a young adult, when I was at camp, I always hated the dances, um, but I'm not a social butterfly by any stretch of anyone's imagination. And I was also really resentful of the idea that like, you know, you should only dance with boys at, oh, at totally. those dances, you know. Um, we were not in a, a place where you were going to have like queer you know uh pairings in in camp dances yeah my book definitely is sort of um a beautiful utopia where everybody can go and have the camp experience (laughs) that they didn't have and as a kid or didn't or wanted to have as a kid and um, it's all possible there (laughs) well I am totally here for that I think you know if we could have grown up in a situation like that, if so many people could have grown up with like that level of acceptance, I just, I like to think about like what the world could be like had that you know been, been the case. So I'm here for all of the like queer utopia that anyone has Absolutely. to offer. Well, great. I'm glad to provide because yeah, yes. that was yes. sort of my, my hope in that is that it's a place that maybe doesn't necessarily feel like it could exactly exist, but the the point is the joy of it and the freedom and the safety. Right. It it should exist. I think 
I know when I'm looking for things to read, you know, I sometimes want that realism. I want to be sort of thrown into things that people are actually experiencing. But other times I do want that sort of escapist reading where you don't have to worry about so much of what we see in everyday life. You just have like warmth and acceptance and love. And I think that is one of the things that brings me back to romance again and again, even if I do take, you know, some breaks and read some thrillers and some fantasy and some, you know, whatever else is out there. I always find myself coming back to romance for that very special feeling that it, it offers. Yeah, I totally agree. I think that that's what's so beautiful about romance is that there's a comfort in it and it can feel idyllic, but it also has a lot of real realism baked into it too. And so you can get, you can really get whatever you seek from a romance. Somebody's written it. If you desire it, there's somebody somewhere that's written it. I love that. Me too. So it's been a little while, as I said in the beginning, um, since you were last here. And I'm interested to know kind of what you think you've learned over the past couple of years of being a writer. Like what what about your process or about how you feel as a writer? Like what has changed since Love Scenes was released? I would say I've learned and I think that I'm always learning this. So it feels revelatory all the time, even though it's a lesson I think I'm constantly facing is that you can only control what you can control. And like, I only have control over the words on the page. I don't have control over the reception, over how anybody takes it or what happens beyond that. And so finding my peace with that and also my joy in that is always something I am coming up against and figuring out how to navigate, Uh, like holding space for the fact that my books will be whatever they are to someone else, but they can still be to me something that I am proud of and something that I think is worthy, whether or not they do well or are received well. You know, I feel like that would be such a challenge to kind of have to come up against other people's opinions. Like people are not always kind. We know that. And I feel like as someone who you know would care very deeply about the things that I put out in the world, I feel like it would be hard for me to kind of make peace with the fact that like you can't you can't please everybody you can't write the book that's going to be you know that book for every reader yeah I think I've learned that I'm almost too good at accepting other people's opinions to the point where I just allow myself to like kind of not forget about my books but just be like yeah okay And I know that a lot of that comes from the fact that I grew up as a gymnast and I am a gymnastics coach now. And that is a sport that is incredibly feedback based. And it's like, if you think of Simone Biles, right. And you think of her amazing Olympic performances, like she still gets off the floor and her coach is like, you didn't point your toes on your this. And like, there is always something to improve. And it's not even in a negative like way. I'm saying like, it's just, you're so used to feedback and criticism and 
the idea that what you've done may have been great, but it's not perfect or it's not, or there's a way to improve for next time. Um, that it's not even so much that I get hurt by the feedback. It's that it doesn't, <laughs> it makes me think that like, oh, I'll just do it better next time. And it like, I don't give myself the space to celebrate the things I have done. If I that wonder makes if sense. some of that has to do with like writing being a very solitary endeavor where in any kind of sport, you are working with other people kind of all the time, whether you have a coach or whether you have teammates or, you know, whether you're, you're trying out for different things. I feel like there is so much more feedback that can be given sort of instantaneously in a way that you wouldn't get as like a writer. Yeah, that's really true. I mean, part of it could just be that I like created all by myself. And so then when I go put it out into the world and if I receive any sort of criticism, I'm just like, okay, yeah, you know, I made this by myself and now this is the response. And now I will hopefully go make another one. And like, you know, instead of celebrating the accomplishment, but I definitely don't get down on myself if people don't like it. I don't know. I'm, I'm very good at being able to just go, okay. And like move on and I can hear that. But yeah, I think sometimes to the point where I could stand to have a little more <laughs> feelings about it. And that's something I'm I'm working on and like allowing myself to fully take up the space of my feelings. I'm guessing that's something that a lot of us are working on now and will continue to work on as, as time goes by, because I don't think any of us are quite as, you know, in touch with those parts of ourselves as maybe, you know, would be, would be healthy for us to be. Yeah. And that's, what's so beautiful about writing for me too, is like, I can create such as like in that summer feeling a space where a character can go and sort of work through similar things and like terms of getting in touch with whatever you feel like you've lost within yourself or something that you know you've always needed but never given yourself the permission to receive, um, I think is such a valuable lesson for us all in life. And, you know, I'm a lot of times I think I'm writing things for myself in that sense. Like they're not my direct life experiences, but sometimes I'm telling myself lessons I need to hear. And I definitely think in that summer feeling that's true. I know that when I'm looking for books, like I am often drawn to books that sound like they might resonate with me in some way or might sort of offer me a glimpse into a part of myself or just a part of like the human experience that I haven't fully examined. So it would make sense to me that as a writer, you might also, you know, look for sort of the the things that could make you, you know, think and, and feel certain things. Totally. Well, I want to thank you so, so much for joining me today and for giving me such great book recommendations, not only for myself, but for podcast listeners. Um, it was lovely to have you again. And I really, really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for asking me back. I had a lot of fun being here again. Before I let you dash off, can you let me know the best place that listeners can find you online? Um, I am primarily on Instagram and my handle is at Bridget J. Morrissey. 
And uh, that would be probably the best place to find me or on my website, which is BridgetJMorrissey.com. And you mentioned Instagram. So I have to ask you, do you describe your Instagram photos? Oh, the alt text. Is that what you yes, mean? Yes, that is exactly I, what I mean. I haven't, I haven't done that. I guess I, I don't know exactly how to do it on Instagram. Um, do you do that? So I don't do it because I am a person who doesn't take photos. I'm blind. And so it is um, not a thing that I personally do, but it's a thing that I look for when I'm interacting with people on social media and a thing that makes a huge difference in the accessibility of social media in general. Well, I will definitely be 100% better about doing it. If you Google like adding alt text um, to photos on Instagram, you should be able to find a tutorial that tells you about it. You can also just write the description like in the text of your post if alt text is you know, tricky. And sometimes I hear it's a little persnickety on Instagram. Um, but there are always ways of just sort of including, you know, that like a sentence or two that gives people who don't see photos or who don't interpret visual information well um, a sort of a, a peek into what you're what you're posting. That's amazing. I will definitely do that. Thank you for the reminder. You're welcome. Once again, this has been a discussion with author Bridget Morrissey about her novel, That Summer Feeling, and that releases here in the U.S. on May 30th. All right, so it's time to talk about new books because why not? So as always, I'm going to start out with some books you've heard us mention previously. Um, the first one is one that Kristen mentioned back in May. It was supposed to come out and then it was pushed to June. So this is A Crown of Ivy and Glass Middle Mist, book one by Claire Legrand. If you don't remember, this is um, kind of epic fantasy. Claire Legrand has written another trilogy um, that is kind of like multiple timelines in a fantasy setting. So I'm pretty excited about this one, as is Kristen. But now I'm moving on to books that you've heard us talk about before on our most anticipated releases of June episode. And Melissa is looking forward to The Sweetheart List. This is the fourth book in Jill Shalvis's Sunrise Cove series. Sarah is looking forward to Love Theoretically by Allie Hazelwood. And Stacy is excited about Famous in a Small Town by Viola Shipman. Now, Christine had a couple of books. Um, from her most anticipated list that are out today. And they're both historical fiction. We have The Last Lifeboat by Hazel Gaynor and The Spectacular by Fiona Davis. And my most anticipated June release that is out this week is You Can Trust Me. This is by Wendy Hurd. So those are some books that you've heard us talk about before. I now want to move on to some books that we haven't already mentioned. And I'm beginning this section with The Five Star Weekend by Ellen Hildebrand. And 
Kristen, I know, has enjoyed some of her books, and I think Georgina has as well. They are perfect for the summer. It's like the beaches, the islands, all of the like drama, heartbreak, romance, anything that you could want in the summer happens in an Ellen Hildebrand book. So definitely give this one a look. It is The Five Star Weekend by Ellen Hildebrand. We then have You Were Always Mine by Christine Pride and Joe Piazza. This is their second book. And this one is about a Black woman who takes a white child into her home. And all of the conflict, the joy, everything that goes along with that, we also get to know the birth mother of this child and sort of what prompted her to give her baby away. Um, This is one that I am waiting for at my public library. This is You Were Always Mine by Christine Pride and Joe Piazza. If you're looking for something with a little bit of romance, there's a new Helena Hunting book out this week. This is called A Love Catastrophe. Now, Helena Hunting writes a lot of sports romances. Um, I think most of them have to do with hockey. She also has done some kind of small town, like funny romances. Um, But this one appears to be a standalone. And I think this is one that Brooke is actually um, planning to read. So this is A Love Catastrophe by Helena Hunting. Moving on to some fantasy, we have Magic Claims. This is a novella. It is part of the Kate Daniels Wilmington Years series, and this is book two. It's by Ilona Andrews. Um, This is a kind of companion slash spinoff to their Kate Daniels series that so many people love. Um, I have not finished reading that series, and so I'm not sure what's happening in the like Wilmington years, but I know there are a bunch of Ilona Andrews fans out there who are definitely caught up and are ready and waiting for this one. Moving on to another long-running series, we have Demons of Good and Evil. This is The Hollows, book 17 by Kim Harrison. And this is another series that I am not caught up with, um, but I do always keep track of what Kim Harrison is working on because I love pretty much everything she writes, whether it's in The Hollows or not. But certainly The Hollows is her best known series. And, you know, more time spent with Rachel Morgan is never a bad thing. So this is Demons of Good and Evil, The Hollows, book 17, by Kim Harrison. I'm now moving on to Rogue Darkness. This is Immortal Guardians book 12 by Diane Duvall. This is a series that I have never read, although I think Stacy and maybe Sarah have read um, at least the first few. If you do them in audio, the fantastic Kirsten Potter is the narrator, and that is always a fabulous thing. But this is a, a vampire based series. So if that's a thing that you love and you, like me, haven't uh, given it a try, you might want to. But if you are caught up, then you're probably very ready for book 12. So this is Rogue Darkness, Immortal Guardians, book 12 
by Diane Duvall. I now want to talk about The First Bright Thing. This is a standalone novel by J.R. Dawson, and it is a magical circus novel. This is right up my alley. I want this book like as soon as I can get it. I put myself on hold for it at the library. I'm hoping to see it soon. I love circuses. I love magic. This is absolutely what I need. It is The First Bright Thing by J.R. Dawson. We next have The Surviving Sky. This is the Raja Trilogy, book one, by Kritika H. Rao. And it is kind of a, like, they call it science fantasy. So I guess a mix of science fiction and fantasy, maybe. But it's the last vestiges of humanity exist in this place above a jungle planet. And I don't know if they're trying to like settle this jungle planet or how that's going to go, but I definitely want to find out. And it is The Surviving Sky, Raja's Book One by Kritika H. Rao. We then move on to mysteries and thrillers and suspense and all those glorious things. So we have Bad Influence. This is Sunny Randall, book 11 by Allison Galen. Now, I don't know what planet I've been living on, perhaps that jungle planet that people may or may not be trying to settle, but I had no idea that Allison Galen had such a long running series. I have read some of her standalone work and really, really enjoyed it, but I did not know that she had a PI series and that is what her Sunny Randall series is. So for all of you who may be caught up, you know, you're ready to move on to book 11, but I am not, I need to go back and find the first one and see what this is all about. So this is Bad Influence. And it's Sunny Randall, book 11, by Allison Galen. Next up is The Puzzle Master by Danielle Trezzoni. This reminds me a little bit of like The Labyrinth by Kate Moss. Um, maybe kind of like some of the Da Vinci Code-esque books where people are looking at an artifact of the past and trying to figure out how it relates to something in the present and possibly the future. So this looks like a very, very twisty um, mystery kind of in that vein. It is The Puzzle Master by Danielle Trissoni. Then we have a new Kendra Elliott book, and that is always a great thing. This is The First Death. It is Columbia River, book four by Kendra Elliott. And I am most familiar with Elliot's Mercy Kilpatrick series, um, like A Merciful Death, A Merciful Truth, those types of things. But I know that she has a huge backlist aside from that series, and it is something that I definitely want to explore. I know that Brooke has read quite a few of her books and really, really enjoyed them. In fact, I think she has read the previous books in this series, and I need to do the same. But this is The First Death, Columbia River, book four by Kendra Elliott. 
This next book is one that I am very, very excited about. This is an author who doesn't release books very often. So whenever she does, I'm super happy. This is The Island of Lost Girls by Alex Marwood. Now, Alex Marwood wrote um, The Wicked Girls and, oh gosh, just so many other fantastic things. All of them are very, very dark They are the kinds of books that have scenes that will stay with you for a long, long time. Um, I remember one where it's showing like there's a dead body buried underneath like this place where people were putting in a pool. And um, I just, I always think about that when people talk about, you know, oh yeah, I'm thinking about having a pool installed. I'm like, hmm, wonder what else you're installing. Bodies maybe? Um, but Marwood is just such a gifted author. And so I am super excited for this one. And it is The Island of Lost Girls by Alex Marwood. And we also have a new Robin Harding book. And this is amazing because Robin Harding has written so many fabulous things. Um, The Party, The Arrangement, just to name a few. Um, they're very, very quick reads, like one of those things that people call compulsively readable, where like once you start, you're just sucked in. They are always over the top in the very best ways where even as you read it, you know, like this is not something that would usually happen in real life and it's totally okay. Like you are completely invested in all of the sort of madcap Uh, shenanigans that these characters get up to. So I am definitely looking forward to reading The Drowning Woman by Robin Harding. We also have a new Wendy Walker book this week. This is called What Remains. And it's about a woman who saved someone's life. And now these two are bound inexplicably together. And I'm guessing this is not a good thing. Um, I've read, I think, everything that Wendy Walker has written. Some of them are super dark and disturbing, um, but kind of like Robin Harding, very, very readable. So give this one a try. If you haven't read Wendy Walker before, definitely pick up um, her other stuff. I particularly liked Emma in the Night but pretty much anything she does is fantastic. This is What Remains, and it is by Wendy Walker. We also have She Started It by Sean Gilbert, and it's Sean, C-A-I-N. And this is about a bachelorette party in the Caribbean that goes frighteningly wrong. It is She Started It by Sean Gilbert. So those are the books that I have for you today. I hope you find something spectacular to read, whether it's historical fiction, romance, general fiction, fantasy, thrillers, nonfiction, whatever it may be. I hope you read it and love it. I hope everyone is doing well as we get deeper and deeper into June. I hope you are all staying safe And of course, well-read.
If you would like to leave us a rating or a review, you can do that on Apple Podcasts or any other platform that you use to access the show. Not only does it tell us what you think, but it also helps other people find us when they're looking for book-related podcasts. Um, It kind of advances us in the Google algorithm. So I will be back next Tuesday morning with an author interview and, of course, the guide to new releases. And some number of us will be back on Friday with more bookish greatness. Take care, everybody. Thank you.